Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. Uh, before we get started, I just want to let you know that um, this coming weekend, November 21st and 22nd, I'm doing an online workshop on the second half of second series. Okay, so you can tune in live or do a recorded version later on your own time. And um, really encourage you to join this workshop if you work on second series or if some, some of you might be advancing um, through the second series and are getting ready to, to dive into some of those poses in the second half. Um, or if you just have a, a strong practice and you want to um, explore a very beautiful bunch of postures. Uh, I'm amazed in the second series how they're, they're kind of unheralded, some of the, the poses. So like some are classics, like we'll, we'll work on Bach Asana and um, Pinchamayurasana and Ekapada Shirshasana. Uh, so those are very core, the Bach Asana and uh, Pincha. And those are and Mayurasana, so it's very core um, strength poses that bring a little variety, a different type of strength um, than the first series. And then there's like those leg behind the head poses. And then there's some really interesting seated asanas that I just love, like Vatayanasana and Parigasana and Gomakasana. So anyway, love to have you join me. You can check out the uh, register or or check out more information on my website. Okay, so today's subject is uh, the virtue. Okay, and um, so just know at the outset, I kind of use the word virtue, which I'm going to define for you, and ideal somewhat interchangeably. So they're very close, like what constitutes a virtuous pose or um, shooting for the, 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 your ideal or conceiving of the ideal uh, pose or what are you kind of going for when you do triangle pose or chaturanga dandasana or, or any pose and um, how do you bring out the virtue or the, the virtuous action and then of course I go by the idea that the discipline and the philosophy are one and the same. So that when you pursue virtue in your asanas, that's the same. You are pursuing virtuous action throughout your, your whole life. To a certain degree, if the philosophy and the discipline are not connected, then there's a real kind of deficiency in your yoga. So you want your, the, it's like a, laboratory, a research lab, your mat and your asanas that helps you to bring knowledge and skill in action into your life. And so you're always looking for that uh, relationship between what happens, what you learn or what the puzzles that you're grappling with in your practice and then how those apply to the context of your, of your life. And but if you start with your life, then it's too big uh, all of a sudden and very hard to like really quantify and get a grasp on. So for instance, like a virtuous life like, or living your ideal life. 
And, uh, and I think about that though, and that is ultimately what you wanna have that scope, or that largeness of perspective in order to get the most out of your life. But this is the wonder and the miracle and the beauty of practice is that it t helps you take such a big perspective and break it into bite-sized chunks that you can actually uh, practice and gain skill in and add to that and add up to um, kind of bigger and bigger examples of skill in action in your life, right? So if it, it starts off with postures, bringing integrity and skill and virtue, approaching an ideal uh, in your asanas, and then you can do that, you can start to want, apply that to your relationships across the board, relationships with family, relationships with uh, partners, with uh, friends or co-workers, and then your relationship to your work itself, uh, like kind of building into meaningful work and virtuous work. And so that for me, I, I contemplate my death frequently um, and kind of keep my death close the knowledge of how temporary all this is and, and, and also that if I did, if, I, if it's like in the Hindu stories where you meet up with Yama and his scribe on your way to whatever comes after death and you kind of have to examine your, your life. Like what, what did you do with your time here? And I want to be able to look back and feel that I've made the best of it and that I, I tried to identify my ideals, tried to identify what I consider a virtuous life and then move towards it to the best of my ability. And so there you go. But it starts with the posture itself. And the word is punya. That means virtue. It's an important, um, very ancient Sanskrit word. And it has some, a few different meanings that I, I really value it, uh, that it's not just one meaning. It's got some kind of prongs or branches. So here's a small list of what punya or virtue means. Um, holy, holy, like um, sacred and um, pure virtue, um, meritorious, it has merit. Um, whatever has punya has merit. It is auspicious, um, it's fair like, or just. Justice is served. Uh, and then it, it's good, right, good. And yeah, it's just a plain quality of good, but it's also right and moral. See, and so this is what the podcast is about, is like breaking down these different ideas of virtue or these different prongs or kind of ways of seeing virtue so as to make it more 
accessible to you, to, to make the idea of punya or virtue a tool or some kind of uh, guiding light that you can really grab onto and use. Okay, and so uh, to me, partly I feel like virtue is associated almost exclusively, or certainly it has a large bent towards moral and right. Okay, and to me, that's a great starting place. Like, and if you just take your pose, it's like, what does it mean, um, right or, um, or moral? And, and so partly that means, uh, well, skeletal alignment, for one, means you're using your parts properly. So that takes its own analyzation. Like, what does it mean to do, uh, what kind of principles go into making a backbend uh, kind of morally correct or a virtuous backbend? And in that sense of, uh, it's a very definable definition, right? It's very, uh, it's right and versus wrong. Okay, and um, so you want to entertain the idea. Let's go, like, we'll take the backbend example. Like, uh, so you want to really stabilize your legs in a backbend, make them very firm and not let them give easily. And, and that constitutes something right or good for your uh, spine, your pelvis and spine. Okay, so if you let your legs go, go out, which, is, which happens in the untrained uh, student, the legs just kind of go out away from each other easily, and the pelvis, and that, that kind of encourages the pelvis to tuck under. And those things are not right, and that they have consequences. You see, and, the, and so if you look at that word punya, it has uh, one of its definition is meritorious. Okay, and, and so, which means it has merit or demerit. See, it's a very old word, and they point it out. It's an ancient Sanskrit word, and it's related to the concept of karma, of merit. Okay, so that uh, the whole idea of like going in front of Yama and his scribe, Chitragupta, the, who, the, which the mean, name means rich in secrets. So like you die and you, there's a big, there's a whole tally of all your actions. And so, and of course it's a mythological, it's not a literal thing, but it's a symbolic thing that's telling you that your actions have consequences. And that's, that's what yoga is teaching you, is that you're, you come out into this world, not into a random world, a random universe where things are happening all disconnected from each other. No, that everything is connected. And so it means that um, it, it, there's, a co there's cause and effect. It means that when you act, it's going to have certain consequences and those consequences must come. And so this shows up in your asanas. And, it ha and it's one of the reasons that I have this um, kind of saying that you repeat only what you want to reinforce because your actions have consequences. And there's a concept called samskara, means um, groove or impression. And so, when, and it's like when you repeat actions, then you create a kind of groove and you create momentum so that, um, that 
cause and effect when it's an interesting thing that happens is that when you act unskillfully, so against the kind of laws of the universe, then you create a kind of proliferation of action. Like the, there's more actions are needed to correct your original um, misguided action. And so, for instance, if you repeatedly do a backbend, allowing your legs to go out and your pelvis to tuck under, well, it, it compromises your spinal position and if you do it once or twice, you won't necessarily feel the effects. But if you do that for 10 years, you're going to understand the harm that you do to your, to your body. So that means your action, it, it's lacking merit. It's like, so karma, you, there's like good karma for, that like leads from skillful action and then there's bad karma that leads from unskillful action. And bad karma just means that it's, there's more, it's like mess making. It's like your, your actions create messes that have to be dealt with. They, that when you, and when you make a mess, it doesn't just go away because you ignore it or don't notice or something, right? That it's still there and you'll have to atone for it sooner or later. And so, so then you can assess your actions in the present moment as being having merit, meaning that they're, they're going towards, um, yeah, this is the uh, part of the spirit of punya. They're going towards um, goodness. And in the old uh, sense of the word punya, it means happy or auspicious, um, agreeable, advantageous, uh, beneficent, and meritorious. It has merit. It's like actually taking you towards where you want to go now and in the future. Okay. And whereas when your action lacks merit, when it, it's not, it's a punya, the opposite of virtuous, then it's, it's unhappy. It's, it's inauspicious. It's disagreeable. Some of that um, assessment of whether your action is virtuous or not, you can tell right in the moment. Your body will tell you, give you signals if you, and you, if you pay attention. But some you don't notice. So you, it takes time to, for it to develop and um, experience and uh, kind of repeated mistakes. But your job is to do your best to be as awake as possible and uh, discern so it, what constitutes virtue in this pose? This is a, a th thing that forms the heart of everything that I teach. It's just that. I, you can say it. I'm quite um, obsessed or uh, fascinated by the, this idea of virtue in the asana and in everything, I, in my diet, in my Every, every important aspect of my life, I'm, I'm in this constant sort of uh, observation of the rightness or wrongness, the goodness or the uh, badness, the agreeableness or disagreeableness of the, uh, my actions. Okay, and so, and now I am going to bring in this word ideal more because it's, it's, it's really key in this uh, conversation. 
and there's different definitions of it, but, and I'm going to give you a few right now. And one is the ideal is satisfying one's conception of what is perfect or most suitable. Okay, but we'll come back to most suitable. I haven't gotten to that yet, but I want to talk to you about that because that's really different, right? Satisfying your ideal, one's a conception, satisfying one's conception of what is perfect. Okay, that's one thing. And then also, or satisfying one's conception of what is most suitable. Okay, and so those aren't necessarily exactly the same thing. And this is something beautiful about um, the word punya and the word ideal. Because we, I think we can get lost in thinking that ideal means only satisfying one's conception of what is perfect. And then we stop there. We don't go or most suitable. And the same with punya, when we define it as right or moral and then stop there, there's a whole dimension missing. Because within the word punya, there's, a, there's also a most suitable. So like uh, that definition of, of punya, it's advantageous. So that's partly most suitable. That what's, what's advantageous? Which is different than right, right? Ad, and, and also convenient. Convenient or expedient. So it's almost like th these are the prongs that I'm talking about. So on one prong is you're gauging it's the, the rightness of your action. And there's something strict and um, external and final about that in a way. It's like in every pose, there's, there's, there's laws that your joints operate under. And, the, and you're trying to sort out those laws in order to like safely take lotus pose without hurting your knee or something like that, right? And, and yet at the same time, there's also this other aspect of virtue, which is little softer or, or rounder and more individual and more internal in a way. So it's not such a outer rule kind of feeling of the word virtue. It's more like it's, mo it's suitable, it's convenient. It works with this very body, with the, these particular parts in this particular circumstance. Okay, and um, now I, and I go a long ways. See, I've been doing this asana practice for so long now, decades, right? And, and there's a lot of monotony, a lot of repetition. And I also devote a lot of time to it. And so... I've had time to kind of, uh, ideals of what the poses are have arisen from within me, right? So I have this uh, clear conceptions of like what I think of as the ideal triangle pose. And those of you that study with me, you know, because I, I help you try to get to that ideal. And here's another definition of ideal, which is, um, a few words, consummate, consummate, or supreme, um, a standard of perfection or beauty or excellence. You see, and so, so this ideal is, uh, it's a very high thing. And, and it, for your posture and for your life. And of course, the, in a way, it's a razor's edge. Because when you set the bar high, well, that's a lot to live up to. 
and, and there's a lot of work to be done to get to the ideal, and there's a um, lot of potential for failure and disappointment and coming short of the mark, okay? But I myself accept that. I accept the hardship of, um, of having a high standard. So it does mean though that my conception of triangle pose or Virabhadrasana A, even the most basic thing, my conception of standing in Samasthitihi is um, Durga difficult to reach, not, um, not easily attained. Okay, so it's, yeah, because I'm trying to satisfy my conception of what is perfect, not just like what's passable what's average, no, a standard of perfection or beauty or excellence, what's consummate. And so you, I'm encouraging you to do the same because I love that definition of ideal, satisfying one's conception of what is perfect. See, it's like you, your conception, it's not just, you're not satisfying what is perfect. No, it's your conception of what is perfect. Okay, so you have to actually go to that place within yourself of deciding what's the ultimate triangle pose? What's the ultimate shoulder stand? What's the ultimate drop back? Ah, I love that. I just love that. And it can change as you gain experience and uh, and open up into the art of asana. And most in one direction of that um, change of an ideal is it, it increases in, becomes a higher and higher bar. Like as a beginner, you don't know. And you're, you're trying to survive, right? And you, you just make a rough approximation of the shape. But slowly, slowly as you repeat and practice, Skill comes, like um, facility, strength, and flexibility, and you're able to see possibilities. And so you keep raising the bar. And of course, part, part of the whole game is, it is hard. And another thing is that ideal is defined as a principle, an idea, or a standard that seems very good or worth trying for, worth trying to achieve. Okay, so you, it's partly too, you have to, you have to decide. And to me, the, that I, the thing that the ideal is a principle that seems very good or worth trying for. And some of you are in my Asana Principles course. And if you study with me, you know that I work with these principles that behind everything you do, there's principles to work with. And these help you to get to the ideal. And like this single position, like that every pose is born from the danda, the, the samastitihi, the very strong um, central line of the body. And, and so you, you value integrity between your pelvis, torso, and head. And you maintain that integrity when you do plank, chaturanga, shoulder stand, uh, triangle pose, when even so your body, your spine comes horizontal to the ground, but it's still, there's integrity between the pelvis, torso, and head. And so many poses. 
and then there's the, the there's of course there's excursions where you flex the spine or extend your spine or twist but they all still come from that root pose that's one principle that helps you to understand what is this ideal what what am i trying to do in this pose and what's the object what's the ultimate okay and like i also have foundation first is a important principle where you identify that ground right beneath you and then line up um, orient your legs and arms to connect with the ground and support your body masses okay and then there's the idea the principle of uh, making a gesture putting your spine in the very center of whatever you're doing and uh, expressing something purposeful with your with that bony column that's at the heart of you Okay, and, and to me, this is how I approach getting a high standard or beauty or excellence from the asana. And then the principle or idea or standard that seems very good or worth trying to achieve, that also goes in further into your life, right? Because the strength and the insight and the flexibility that you gain from your asana practice, it gives you the ability to conceive of ideals for you know, principles that you want to try to achieve in your life. Like for me, uh, meaningful work. Like that, I, I hold to that, that me, I want my, what I, my job to count. Like, and sharing yoga, I feel like I'm really contributing to making the world a better place. Okay, and, and then, but even more simple ones like ahimsa, the very first um, tenant of yoga, the first yama of non-harming, like trying to go through your day and your, your life of valuing peace uh, and um, curbing your tendency to, towards anger and revenge. And so when you, and it's an interesting hookup, that when you can achieve these kind of ideal, your ideals in the, in the asana, even if they're physical ideals, like I, going towards rotating your joints um, externally to create virabhadrasana, the warrior two, or lunging generously and bringing your thigh parallel to the ground, that those very physical kind of objectives that you're playing with lead, give you the, the way the kind of um, methodology and the gumph, the spirit, to transfer it into your life. Like to me, I have the ideal of trying to be open in communication, in relationships. And it's challenging sometimes, right? But when you can fall back on these important principles and remember, especially in times when you're having a hard time meeting the ideal, then you, you kind of have a leg up, you have an advantage, and you're, you're able to come closer to the ideal. Okay, and so, and this is though what I wanna talk to you about, is that because you've, in response to the idea that you're setting a high bar, that you're shooting for what is consummate or supreme, then immediately you get to what I call concessions. And a concession is a thing given 
or allowed in response to a demand. Okay? And so this is key to me. Okay? So that so when you're you're shooting for the ideal, um, it, here's a, this uh, other definition of ideal, where it takes it into kind of the shadow aspect of it. So it says existing only in the imagination. And so this, whatever this conception of perfection is, it only exists in your imagination. And it, it may be desirable perfect, but it's not likely to become a reality. Okay, and so to a certain degree, shooting for an ideal that exists only in your imagination, that's desirable or perfect, is kind of exactly what you do in your asana. You set the bar so high, and you're never really going to get there, but you're okay with it because, because the, the hunt is, is awesome, and just striving for that ideal is everything, okay? Even if you're not going to go get all the way there. But then, in that same definition, it goes, it goes, it kind of goes over into a dark place of unworkable or unfeasible. You see, and so we can become kind of unrealistic in our kind of trying to make things perfect. We can make things become not feasible, not workable. And so, and, and it's interesting how we can be our own enemy in that sense, that we can set ourselves up with um, asana projects or out in our life too, these, these kind of impossible demands that we'll make on ourselves or others and kind of recipes for failures. And what, what can happen then is that we, we then, when it happens and we repeatedly suffer, we make mistakes and suffer and are too judgmental of ourselves or too harsh or then we, we, stop, we start shying away from ideals. Like we don't, that the idea of perfection is, is very scary or un, like not something we think of as positive at all. Like we think of it as perfectionism, as though there's something wrong with setting a high standard because we're just gonna become judgmental or you know, so that somehow that's shooting ourselves down before we've even tried. So this is why you have to be ready to make concessions. And it's a very important definition. So you give up something or allow something in recognition of a demand. You see, and this is exactly what happens in an asana, to the T. And, and, and it'll happen in, in an untrained student. We immediately, almost immediately upon trying the posture, we start giving up something or allowing something because the thing is demanding. You see, and don't mistake, every single posture is, is demanding. It's a, it's a super challenge to really awaken your body and align your skeleton and bring the, all the energy channels to life to strike this, the geometrical form. Right? So it's, it's a mathematical thing, the asana. It's geometry in, in motion, somatic geometry. And so it's made up of um, lines, true circles and squares and diagonals. And, um, and almost immediately we start giving up this, the, the symmetry of the geometry. As soon as we start trying things. And so we 
what I call is we make concessions, we concede things by default or unconsciously. And, and it's funny how it can escape our notice that we are making concessions. So we don't even think of it as making concessions. A perfect example is um, binding in a marichyasana, so like in marichyasana C. So we, it, there's a tendency to make the pose of, like your ideal to um, kind of be too uh, limited or superficial in what constitutes the ideal, like taking your arm around your leg and clasping your fingers, like that that's the ideal. It doesn't matter what else is happening in the body, it, but that, right, that we can get into a mentality like that and and this is a problem, okay? Because, because of the concessions we're making, because the positioning that we're giving up or allowing in um, pursuing that uh, bind, okay? And to me, I'm encouraging you that to make conscious concessions. So to be aware of, so and it takes. Uh, knowing, having this ideal. What's the purpose? What are you trying to do? And what is most valuable? So it's kind of like you have to make a list about of what's the most valuable thing here? What's the core? What's the root of Marichyasana? And, and then be, be unwilling to concede what's most important as you pursue the ideal. And, but willing to give up many things that are of lesser importance because you, you can't approach the ideal, that it's, it's not likely to become a reality. And so you're going to have to, um, like in order, for me, the, so the root of Marichyasana is one, the foundation first. It goes to my principle. So you, and the foundation is your legs more than your pelvis. So you don't want to be back. You've got to get forward into your legs. And when you go for the bind or you make that the priority, often you end up back on your pelvis and, and your legs become very light. And that's um, not meritorious to me, that, that you need to be in your legs in order to gain the benefit, the merit of the pose. Like that, and this idea of karma, that you're cause and effect. And so you're trying to create the most skillful action that leads to that doesn't lead to further action. So not mess-making in the present or in the future, okay? And then you can also, when you, I have people sit on, um, put their, um, elevate their pelvis on a little towel or blanket or block, and that allows you to get forward and rotate your spine evenly from the base. And, I, and to me, whether you bind or not, I'm, I don't mind. Or you can take a tie instead of binding or not even try to bind. Because, and I'm willing to concede those, uh, the, the, the more superficial aspects of doing the pose. And like even sitting on a block is a concession, right? It's, um, it's allowing something in recognition of a demand. And, but that's a concession I think is, is a good a trade-off that's worth it, okay? And remember, you're always making concessions. See, that whenever, even the, when we're masters of what we do, and in your asana or in 
uh, your work or as being the head of a family or whatever it is, you know that this perfection is, it's a lofty thing way up there that you really can't attain. It's, and and it's, it's a reassuring compass. It's a lighthouse, a beacon that's pointing the way to you. But you're constantly willing to make concessions in recognition of the demands that, you're, uh, that, that are being placed upon you and that you place upon yourself just from the fact of having a high standard. And so, so there's a certain uh, necessity that tapas is partly the ability to withstand the heat of having an ideal, of shooting for, for something beautiful, and make it, being willing to make um, concessions, smart concessions, is partly how you withstand that tapas. Okay? And um, to me, there's, there, there's a, the, the, the asana practice and life itself is, is, is a, a negotiation of this. Of what's the ideal? What constitutes good? Uh, virtue and what's moving away from from that and then and what kind of concessions are the best ones to make given the the whole spectrum of um, variables within the thing okay and um, and so I, I want to read to you this passage from an, an old Hatha yoga text it's called um, Sri Nata Muni so yoga rahasya Okay, and um, Nata is a, um, t a kind of sect or a tribe of old, ancient Hatha yogis. And uh, Muni is like a sage or a yogi. Okay, and this book is, uh, it came from Krishnamacharya. So it's part of our Ashtanga lineage. And it says this very important thing. It says, for one, Owing to the differences in the body structure, all asanas are not meant for everybody. Okay, and for in reality, people are stout, lean, stout or lean, or crooked or lame. Okay, so many differences. So not every asana is meant for everybody. And then it says, it goes further. It says, great sages, having examined the needs of all types of people, proposed many asanas. Okay, there's so many asanas out there because there's so many different uh, people and so many different needs. And, then, and so among this many asanas, whatever is most suitable must be understood and then the appropriate asanas must be taught. And, and I would qualify that even further, the appropriate versions. Okay, so it's not a black and white thing. It's not like either you do this pose is appropriate or not appropriate. And this is why I use props. So props are ways that give you the ability to make conscious, intelligent concessions. And they, they, they remove the need for it to be black and white. Okay, so what you need, though, is a suitable version of whatever pose it is. Okay, and this is why I have so many steps. I have a step, steps to build towards the this kind of final ideal that we've um, held up there as our lighthouse. And when you make smart concessions, then to me, you actually achieve the ideal even though it's a less extreme version of the ideal. 
Okay, so that, the word modification, it means to make a change to something to improve it or to make it less extreme. Okay, and so in a way you could say that by sitting on a, a carpet or a block in Mauritiasana Sea, you are, a, you're making a modification that um, to me it improves it because you're able to weight your legs where they should be and you're able to lift up from the root of your spine and turn with more accuracy. Um, but it also makes it less extreme. It's an advantage, right? That it's advent gives, uh, that's how I think of um, props or co some concessions. They give you an advantage. They, they give you the ability to not concede the, the root to hold to and to represent or express that what's most important about that pose. You see, and that's part of what an ideal is. So when you satisfy your conception of what is um, perfect or most suitable, you're, you're also, it's like a kind of prioritization. You're, uh, you're, what is the swarupa, the intrinsic essence of that geometrical shape? What's the most important thing to hold on to where other matters are less important? Okay, and perfect example is um, the Chaturanga Dandasana. Okay, this is such a hard pose. So to me, the th what, what you don't want to concede is the, the Danda. It's right in the name of the pose, four limb staff pose. And, and the, the staff is referring to your head, torso, pelvis, okay? And so when you go from, to bend your elbows in Chaturanga and your head goes forward or your pelvis goes up and tips forward or your ribs jut down towards the ground, right? The, the, these are all concessions that are, you don't wanna make. That's why I say that plank is the root of all strength poses in all of Hatha Yoga, but it's certainly the root of Chaturanga. And it's much less extreme. Okay, it's so much easier to hold that relationship, create the relationship and hold it of your head, torso, pelvis, legs, to make that single line that's unbreakable. You see, and this, it goes to this idea of repeating only what you want to reinforce. See, and, and this, is a, it's a mentality you have to get used to because there's a tendency to think that if I try my hardest and I do the most extreme version of the pose that I possibly can, that's my best strategy. And, that, uh, and even if I, if I know that parts, of, uh, parts go out of alignment and imbalance, that if I do it enough times, repeating it day after day, then eventually it'll turn into the right thing. Okay, and this I'm telling you is not correct. Okay, so when you do a faulty chaturanga again and again, it doesn't eventually turn into the, the proper one, the virtuous position. And this is hard to wrap our heads around. And, and it's hard to understand that we, when we bend our elbows and the pelvis loses its relationship to the torso or the head, that those are concessions, okay? That's um, karma, that's de, uh, punya, uh, lacking virtue, uh, a demerit. It's accumulating bad karma, okay? And, 
And then the opposite though. So if we do plank and really dial that in, that in itself is an uh, achievement of the ideal because it is punya, it's good, it's advantageous, it's uh, meritorious, it's auspicious. See, and that's what you're trying to get to. And then, then the, uh, uh, the next step would be to bend the elbows a little bit and to really pay attention to the, the body masses so that you don't concede the most important things unknowingly. And this happens throughout the practice. So, wow, there you have it. And it's also so perfect for your life because I feel like what happens is we, just like with the asana practice, we see, we, we look at chaturanga and we think that's worth my effort. And we look at plank and think that's not, like we don't even want to think about plank as a virtuous position. It's amazing how universally we'll buy into those, uh, the, the, the kind of maya, the illusion or the, the allure of the, the postures and the, the more extreme versions and think that that's really what's where it's at. You know, and I, I also think that that's what we do in our life, too, that we discount the small little ways that we can contribute um, to, to the world. And, and also, like, in a sense, we're, it's that idea of the, the, the grass is greener in the other pasture, right? That we're kind of constantly being dissatisfied with what actually is suitable to us, what fits it for us right now, this, this relationship, this job. Uh, it, it's funny how we, it seems to be built in that we kind of miss, miss the, our power because, because we think that it's gotta be grander than it actually is. And that we undervalue just these small little actions that are virtuous, that they, they constitute the ideal. They're not leading to an ideal, they are the ideal. So I encourage you to really examine, because dharma, so dharma it means peculiar, peculiarity. So you, and this is what you're actually trying to get to, that you were born, on, came out into this universe, it's a meaningful universe, so you have some kind of purpose, some kind of seeing to do, some kind of sharing. And, and as you walk through your life and you kind of are saddled with responsibilities and duties and you, you get more and more enmeshed in specifics, this set of, this family, this friends, this relationship, this work world, well, you, in a way, you're looking to see the perfection in that, to like embrace your duties more and more, and the specific ones, even though it, it, it goes from what seems like endless possibilities for what you could do or who you could know or what you could share, it actually gets more defined as you go forward. And that's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. 
to, and when you really embrace the smallest little pieces of you, that's when you find your power. And, um, and so to just to close this out, I'm going to tell you that, so in, there's a sutra that talks about this uh, yoga sutra, number 133, and it, it gives you the attitude to take towards punya, to when there is the presence of virtue in, in your own action, your own kind of inside you, and, and then also out in the world, like when you encounter virtue. What's the attitude? And then when, you, when there's an absence of virtue, what's the attitude? Okay, so the, the word for um, what to, the attitude to take towards punya, towards virtue, is mudita. And it means rejoicing in. So it's like, and, and this is what I'm saying. So when you achieve that virtuous plank, there's rejoicing. And like I said, instead of overlooking or, or thinking that it's, somehow not, not right or not good enough or somehow not virtuous, right? You're, so it, it's telling you to make this practice of, um, and it, it's called, the mudita means a particular sort of servant. So you're, you're a servant to virtue. So whenever you find any instance of a, the skillful action, okay, so like when you, you've got an ideal and you, and you've made the, 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 the smartest concessions possible as you move towards that ideal, you rejoice. You, you're, you're a servant to that. And there's, there's gladness and delight. And it's also a particular siddhi or power. It's an actual power to, um, to be able to recognize virtue when it happens and celebrate it. Okay? And then the absence of virtue is called upeksha or upekshanam. So that's one of the things you have to do is see when does it become disagreeable? When does your action become inauspicious, disadvantageous, um, wrong, and, um, oh, and without merit, leading you down a road that's uh, mess-making and leading to further action. Okay? And, and so, and when you find that that's happening, which happens okay, continually, right? That's what's so amazing is that we're, we're in this razor's edge of continually negotiating a kind of virtuous versus a lacking um, actions, lacking in virtue. It's like that, right? It's almost like the, the angel on your shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. Like, it's this constant thing that we can kind of flip over into harmful actions. It's kind of a human thing, right? And so you've got to have a, a strategy when you, when you notice in your asanas and later. And, and what, the first strategy is care. You become guarded. You, you protect, right? You see and you know when things are hard for you. You know when, you're, when demands are coming because this is all repetitive. Like the same asanas we're doing, the same challenges, and then the same we, we get out in our life. So it's like we kind of keep repeatedly facing these challenges, and we got to become protective when we know that, um, like if Chaturanga is challenging, you have to be ready. You have to be on guard when you, and strike your plank and be ready to 
bring integrity to it, rather than just uh, making concessions by habit or default and uh, unconsciousness. And circumspection is the word, which I, I, I love that those combination. It's like inspection plus circumference. So it's like inspecting all around. So you kind of really be there when you feel uh, this lack of virtue and in other people's behavior too. So that the, the, you're, you're, you, you protect, you're on guard when, when you get in the midst of harmful behavior, harmful action. Okay, and then, then indifference is the more common uh, translation. Indifference or, or disregarding or overlooking. So this is necessary, right? Because, because, because of the imperfection, right? And, and we have, so we have this tendency to, towards um, imperfection and that there, there's no pure action, that it, everything, there's, there's some concession. And there's a tendency to become very reactive. So as soon as we notice that something's wrong, we start judging or we get angry and we want to lash out at it or attack it, right? And so this is telling you to, that there's a certain neutrality that you, you look for, try to be more detached from the lack of virtue. Okay, and, and it even goes as far as to overlook or disregard because, because presumably you're making conscious concessions. So like the fact that you're sitting on a block, you've got to overlook that because if you get off that block, then there's going to be another way that you're um, lacking virtue. So to a certain degree, you have to be in a position of just letting it be. Okay, and, and that's one of the the definitions is connivance, that that's the attitude that you take towards it, which is a, a willingness to secretly allow, um, and especially in something wrong. It's like a passive um, cooperation, which is obviously very negative sometimes. Like you don't want to be passively cooperating in a uh, serious wrong, but little wrongs like Suppose your thigh doesn't get parallel to the ground when you are lunging in warrior two. Well, you just let it happen to a certain degree. Okay, and, and it says it in the dictionary that conniving isn't the worst thing in the world. Okay, it's not like you don't use the word connive when, if you allow a murder to happen. It's the wrong word. It's like, it, it says it's a word for like con men or tricksters or someone that wants to... Um, Get around something, okay? And so it's, it's, there's a trickster, there's a playful kind of elephant about it. Like that there's part of us that are too rigid with rules, just too goody-goody and just too harsh and strict and um, perfectionistic. And sometimes we just have to like get around that. We have to trick, trick ourselves into like, having fun and doing something with soul and um, not being so concerned with the, 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 with virtue to where it gets, makes us rigid and lacking virtue, right? And um, the word finagle is, is part of it. And it just means to get something in an in, by an indirect means. Uh, and this is why I love the, the, the old kind of version of 
um, punya. It's it doesn't. It's not just moral or right. It's no. It's uh, auspicious. It's happy. Literally, the word is happy. It's like you want to be happy in your pose, and that's virtuous. And um, and it's convenient. It it's suitable. It, it it works for you. And and I love that that the ideal. It has that. Um, it's not just satisfying your conception of what is perfect. It's what's most suitable. And so when you, when you get a combination of those two, it's like you're headed for this standard of excellence, but also this, um, it fits. And when you can combine those, you've got, then you've got a real um, soulful and uh, workable idea of virtue. Okay, so I hope that this uh, stimulates your thoughts and gets you inspired in your practice and then also gets you kind of researching the idea of virtue in your poses, the virtuous pose and then the virtuous action in your life. Okay, so remember, I have this workshop this weekend. would love to um, have you participate, the second half of second series, November 21st and 22nd, and you can do it live or a recorded version on your own. And um, email me if you have questions or anything. And uh, namaste.